As any one of us who have been breathing for any length of time have probably realized, life is full of unexpected things. Now, we can try to apply the cliche of expect the unexpected, but unless you're Batman and the Joker, they're grenades. Expect the unexpected. Usually it doesn't work out too well because the very definition of unexpected are things that we can't foresee, things that we don't know about, the things which come out of left field, things we would never account for. It's hard. Case in point, who would have thought that the summer, that all of 2020 so far pretty much, would be a pandemic? And that we'd be relegated to isolation and physical distancing and business shutdowns and shut-in orders and church online for what, five months now? Four months now? It's, I've lost track, it's ridiculous. Case in point though, as many of you may realize or empathize with, is that your kids, remind you just how unexpected life can be. You never know what they're going to say. You never know what they're going to do. You never know what they're going to bring you. You never know what you're going to find whenever they're being loud or fighting or maybe even more terrifying when they're quiet. You never know what's going on and it's horrifying. You want to find out as soon as you can. Unexpected things are all around us. Life is full of them. And I think Jesus knew this and that's part of the reason he used parables. As we've talked about before, parables help get underneath people's perception of their knowledge about something, or even their perception of their own perception, to get to the heart of the matter. They let the parables ask of them questions so they can ask the real question that they need to be asking. Whereas a direct approach maybe maybe incite defensiveness or maybe you know recite the reaction, well, I know about this, I don't need to know about this. Parables for those who have ears meaning those who want to, to know really what we're getting at and know what the underlying message is, it can produce some unexpected things in unexpected ways. And Jesus knew this. And I think this is one of the main reasons he used parables. One of the most unexpected parables, perhaps, is in Luke 14, which will be in today. And this is a perfect example of Jesus using an unexpected method, a parable, to teach those around him something very unexpected, although it shouldn't have been, although many things that Jesus taught should not have been expected, but that's a whole nother thing. In Luke 14, we have the parable of the great banquet, which starts in Luke 14, verse 16. And read along with me, please, if you wouldn't mind, uh, or it'll be up here on the screen if you just wanna look uh, ahead. In any case, Luke 16, Luke 14, verse 16, parable of the great banquet, here it is. But he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field and I must go out to see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I married a wife and therefore cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what, have you, what, do you have, what you have commanded has been done and there is still room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of these men who are invited shall taste my banquet. 
there have been a lot of ways that this parable has traditionally been interpreted, and a lot of them that I've heard have talked about who has been invited and who's not. It's been a parable that's talked about I don't want to get too messed up with these terms, but the doctrine of election, about God, who God calls, and who God invites, and, and these things, of who's at the banquet and who's not. Without being too facetious, the reason that that interpretation is so popular is that we forget the context of the parable. Notice I started reading in verse 16. There's a whole lot of context about this parable before the parable starts. If you go back to the very beginning of Luke 14, at verse 1, even one Sabbath, when you went out to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees. Now hold on, right there. Right there we know something that's extremely important. This is a Sabbath meal, a Shabbat meal. This is a time when the Jews and even we in the seventh day principle of the Sabbath are supposed to remember this day, are supposed to remember that this time, that this world, that these things that we have don't actually belong to us. This is God's day, this is God's world, this is our lives are God's lives. Our God's life that, we, that we're borrowing, that we have a stewardship over. We're supposed to remember and, and not only remember but put first and foremost God in front of everything. We rest, we imitate Him, we accept God's rule over us and everything. That's the context of everything in this chapter. Second thing we look at is that he's been invited to a meal at a Pharisee's house. Now, we have the issue here of someone who had dropsy and Jesus teaching is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not and how they couldn't immediately apply to these things, and we have that addressed in other places. That's not the point of this sermon, although there's a lot of things that could be said about that. Speaking of unexpected things. <laughs> but notice the parable he actually tells before the wedding banquet, the great banquet. And look at what Luke writes in verse 7. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor saying to them, and I'm going to read this whole thing, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him, and he invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he might say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who, exalts him, who humbles himself will be exalted. He also said to the man who invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Now, in this narrative... Jesus has done this teaching while sitting at the table, right? In verse 15, when one of those who had reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And that's the linchpin for this whole context. What has been happening here? Jesus on the Sabbath, for a Shabbat, for a Sabbath meal, has come and he has noticed that in this Pharisee's house, who they're all watching him extremely closely, go back 
in verse 7, he told the parable to those who are invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor. In this Sabbath meal, we're supposed to remember that God is over everything, rules everything, is, is in control of everything. We have stewardship over really nothing. He's given it to us. They are missing one of the paramount principles of the kingdom. They're in a meal. This is Pharisees. There's only probably Pharisees and well-to-do people there. Jesus has been invited. And they're all jockeying for position in the places of honor at the Sabbath meal. They're all jockeying for the place of honor because they think they should deserve it. All of them believe they should be in the place of honor. So Jesus tells a parable, two parables, about how when you when you come to a feast, don't choose a place of honor, otherwise you'll be humbled. You know, pick a place of honor that you may be exalted. And by the way, choose those to invite who are poor, who are lame, who are crippled, those who cannot repay you. Now, this is all extremely contextual for a couple reasons. The first reason is that Jesus is speaking into a shame and honor based society. That, and it's a society which is much more concerned about shame and honor than we are now, at least blatantly. And mealtimes was one of the key points in which this would be uh, obvious. You would invite, or at least someone would sit at the place of honor. There would be, you know, first honor, second honor, third honor, and then you, the place of least honor. And then those who weren't invited at all were obviously not even there outside the house. If you weren't invited, that's kind of a slight if you think you should be invited. It was all about shame and all about honor. If you were shamed if you didn't get your spot, you were honored if you received your proper spot, uh, and all that. And so one, they're, they're, they're bringing in this culture of shame and honor into the Sabbath meal, which Jesus is speaking into. But then secondly, of those who were invited, it was expected that they were to be repaid uh, for being given the seat of honor, that you would invite your host probably to somewhere else and they would have the seat of honor. And there was this big game of trying to give honor where honor is supposedly due. And anyone who wasn't in on that game was kind of shamed. Now, here's the thing. This is the context of the parable, which is extremely important. And it's not the point of the parable, although I couldn't help, and this I think is what parables do, I couldn't help but think of some questions when it came to this shame and honor um, perception-based meal in which Jesus is about to speak into. And I couldn't help but wonder are we concerned sometimes more with the look, the perception, the comfort of our church over the meaning, over the mission, and the reach of our church? Now what I mean by that is that, is there anyone in our hearts that we would think, well, if this person attends, then I don't know about them, I don't know about the direction of this church, or I don't know if I could go, or I don't know if I could sit in the same pew. Is there anyone, is there any program or anything where we have to keep this up because we ought to look good in the community? Our perception is that important. We need to do this even though it's not the most healthy thing. Is there anything in our hearts or minds or in our ministries that speaks to being more concerned with the perception, honor, with the look, with the comfort? of our congregation and stretching ourselves to fully fulfill the mission of God.
And the thing is, if there is, it's the same shame and honor culture that the kingdom rails against, that we are bringing to the church. It's not the point of the parable, but it's something which occurred to me, which has been nagging me a little bit, and so I've got to say it and ask it for your consideration. Moving on to the point, though, the point with this context is not about who is at the banquet. It's not about who the elect of God are, because in fact, that's the very point that Jesus is trying to speak against. You see, all the Pharisees, all the religious leaders of Israel, believed they were the elect of God. Well, I mean, we are Abra We see this in other Gospels. We're Abraham's children. We've never been enslaved to anyone, as the Roman guard walks by. Uh, and Jesus was saying, no, 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 you are missing it. The point of the parable and the unexpected answer of the parable is not who is invited or who is there or who is there because of their invitation or their election. But the unexpected answer is who will attend the banquet? Now, if that seems like a very subtle difference, it's really not. There's a huge difference between who is invited versus who attends. And if you read the parable of the great banquet, the emphasis is not on who is invited because they, that was following the culture of the day. The emphasis is the fact that they chose not to come, but also the emphasis on who responds. And who does respond in the parable are those who least expected to be there. You see, the point that Jesus is making here at this feast, at this Sabbath feast, which they are taking and putting the culture of shame and honor into the kingdom ethic, he's saying, look, you are missing it. Forgiveness and God's invitation to come to the banquet is available for anyone who responds, not to those who expect it or think themselves owed an invitation, which is kind of what they thought. And we do that too sometimes when it comes to salvation. Well, I've had the schooling, or I know this, or I've done this much ministry. And it's not a call to do more by any means, but it's a call to remember that none of us deserve a seat at the banquet table of God. But especially those who place anything above the kingdom and who do not respond to God's invitation will not have it. So the point of the parable is who will attend the banquet, which leads us into what I think is getting at one of the heart lessons of the parable, which is priorities. Notice what the parable even says, uh, flat out. He says in verse 17, at the time of the banquet, he sent a servant to say to those who have been invited, come, for everything is now ready. And I think that translates directly over the point of this parable when it comes to God's kingdom. Hi, buddy. <laughs> Hey, dog. He has nothing to add. I was going to ask him if he had anything to add. 
And the point of the parable is not come because one day he'll be ready. Come so that way we can be there when it's ready. The point of the parable is, hey, come because the banquet is ready. And the whole context of the parables is that the king is absolutely um, flabbergasted that that it's ready. You've been invited. And people go, no, no, wait a minute. I have this to do. No, 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 wait a minute. I have this to do. No, 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 I have this to do. No, I have this to do. There's a warning implicit in this invitation, warning about what we place above God's banquet. If you want to put it this way, and hopefully this translates a little bit better, hey, God's having a party. You're invited. No, 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 no. I have, I have family issues. I have things to do around my farm. I have, I have this to go do. Um, it's a warning inherent in the parable about those who place any other priority higher than attending God's celebration, attending God's party. Now, implicit in the parable is family and possessions. I think that trains us a little bit, maybe a little bit too much. I'm not talking here. I'm not talking about ministry. I'm not talking about church obligations, okay? Because we can get, well, I'll save that for a minute. I'm talking about anything we place over seeking and fulfilling God's kingdom and basic mission. What do we place over that? Well, we definitely place family over that. We place our possessions sometimes over that. We place business over that. We place ministry over that. It's worth pondering, can we do so much ministry that we don't really advance the kingdom? Can good programs and good ministries we do be getting in the way, maybe, of mission? How do those ministries advance the mission? What is our mission in the mission of God? Proclamation of the kingdom is not about reassuring you or me of our salvation or that we're doing a good job, nor is the kingdom in keeping with the busyness of the world or the people. Kingdom proclamation is a challenge for each of us to respond to the invitation that God has given us to be the people He has invited us to be. It's an invitation to be the church that He has invited us to be. It's an invitation to be the kingdom citizens that He desires us to be. These parables don't spell out what that response looks like all the time, but it does spell out for us the dangers, warnings, and the point of kingdom in the sense that we should be extremely eager to respond to whatever God invites us to, knowing that we as people, we have absolutely no right except by God's sheer grace to sit at his banquet table and enjoy his celebration of eternal life. We... We should be clamoring over each other to do kingdom work. Because <laughs> it means that we have responded to God's invitation. And maybe that's actually leading us into our last point today.
the fact that we should be witnesses characterized by the joy of a people being having been invited to the banquet having responded to that invitation to what God has prepared and what we're enjoying now there's a phrase which I really enjoy um, I think it's I, th I heard it from a former Lutheran but um, that of the frozen chosen those who are chosen for God's work but yet are so frozen in their you know like you couldn't tell if they're alive or dead or or maybe even chilly now that's a joke, but yet how often is the church known for what it's against? How often is the church known for what you cannot do? How often is the church or even Jesus known among people known for, for what is wrong? How often is the church known for, well, you can't come unless, you can't be a part unless, you can't participate unless this parable. <laughs> This parable doesn't teach that the banquet is for those who qualify. But the banquet is for anyone and everyone who responds to God's invitation that's already been given to everyone. Klein Snodgrass, a guy who's written a wonderful book on the parable, says this, he says, do we not have the responsibility to offer the invitation with the announcement that all is ready? Should not the joy of the celebration of the kingdom be so evident that the invitation becomes compelling? Do we not need to be alert enough to know that those who expect to be there, including ourselves, may not be? And, and should be so warned about presumptions and preoccupations? And should we not be alert enough to know that the invitation to those on the margins whom we would normally, not normally think of inviting is essential? To those who are gathered here at this Sabbath meal, Jesus says something completely unexpected. He says, you who think you are owed, you who think you've got a seat at God's table, think again. Those of you who think that you should be at a seat of honor in God's table, think again. Those of you who think that the outcasts, the margins of society, the lepers, the poor, what does he say here? The crippled, the lame, the blind, that they don't deserve a seat at the table, how wrong you are. Let us not be guilty of the same presumptions when it comes not only to our place, but also how we create our small sphere of the kingdom and how it affects others. The parable this parable is not about mission, but I think it should cause us to reflect on our mission, about how, to whom, and in what way we are inviting people to God's banquet, or not. Jesus told everyone gathered there's something very unexpected. He goes on in chapter 15 to say quite a few more unexpected things. We'll talk about that next week. The point that Jesus is making this time. 
is that none of us deserve a spot at God's banquet table, yet by His amazing, sheer, and expensive grace, He has invited each one of us. And nothing else matters except if you respond. How are we going to respond to God's invitation today, tomorrow, this week, through the rest of COVID, through the rest of this year? How are we going to respond? And maybe what unexpected ways should we that we haven't yet? Have you responded to God's invitation to sit at His table? Have you responded to God's invitation to invite someone else? How are we going to respond? Make it unexpected in the world sense. And let's make it a kingdom response, which is what God expects of us. Grace to you all.